marriage, marriage is not just about social convention, and it's not just about human happiness, although those are both involved. A man shall leave his father and his mother, and he shall cling to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. It's something way deeper. See, what goes on in our day and age is every discussion about marriage either talks about human happiness or social conventions and convenience, but nobody's going back to the very reason marriage exists in the first place. When most people talk about marriage, they focus on the surface stuff, the issues that come up, how to improve their relationships or their level of happiness. But Jesus didn't do that. When asked about marriage, he bypassed the surface stuff and dug down deep to the heart of what marriage is. In today's edition of Jesus is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel helps you unpack what Jesus has to say about marriage and why it matters for you. Now here's Pastor Daniel in Matthew chapter 19 as he begins his message, Finding the Heart of Marriage. So you talk about this series that we're calling Real Talk. And what we're going to talk about today, there's really nothing that's more real than what I want to talk with you about today. Because when it comes down to marriage and interpersonal relationships and all that is entailed with it, I realize that I am going to be treading on ground that there's all sorts of things there. But one of the things that I love the most about who Jesus is, is that Jesus never shied away from a hard conversation. Isn't it true? It's like Jesus never shies away from a hard conversation. But what Jesus is really good at is he doesn't get himself caught up in all of the peripherals. That's why we're calling this series Real Talk. We're watching Jesus get to the heart of the matter. And when it comes to things like marriage, we really, really need to get to the heart of the matter. Because there's so much baggage, carnage. There's so much hurt and wounds. It's been politicized in every way we can fathom. That in some ways, when it comes to marriage and God's intention for families, it's almost like, where do you even begin? Now, you might say, well, wow, that sounds really serious, Fusco, you know. But you got to realize that in Jesus's day, it was equally as problematic and troubling. That in Jesus's day, not all of the discussions, but a lot of the same discussions were raging. And what I love about Jesus is Jesus didn't get himself caught up in all the peripheries, but as Jesus always does, he got right to the heart of it. He realized he lived in a less than ideal world where there was all sorts of tensions, but yet Jesus still pushed everybody to the ideal, even in the midst of the tensions. Because of what Jesus has done, I feel that I need to do the exact same thing. That we're going to talk about the tensions, but Jesus wants us in the midst of a messy world to focus on the things that God cares the most about and not spend so much time focusing on the mess. And I think that's when it comes to discussions of family and marriage in our generation, 
there's so much mess that everyone just talks about the mess and nobody talks about God's ideal. And what it does is it obscures the point, really. Because by the time you talk through all the messes, and listen, we all have them in all different areas of our lives. We all know people who have those messes, right? All of a sudden, you're like, I don't even know what to say about this anymore. You feel stuck. But Jesus, in the way that Jesus walks through this world, he always points us to the most important things, to the heart of the matter. Now, because this message is on marriage, I know for some of you who are single, you might say, Okay, so this is going to be a, a dud message. Just pull out the sports score or whatever. Listen, there's going to be all sorts of stuff for all of us here. So like, no matter where you find yourself in life, if you're single right now, you know married people, so you need to know this. And if you want to be married, you want to train before the race. It's good, right? <laughs> Nobody ever goes out and runs a 26.1 kilometer marathon. You train before you do that thing, right? Or else you come up lame in the middle of it. So if you're single and you want to get married, you want to hear this stuff, this is super important. If you're married, you definitely need to hear this stuff because I also realized that according to recent statistics, about 40% of Christian marriages end in divorce. That's about 12% better than non-Christian marriages. And I'm talking about Christians who are committed to going to church. So what that means is that 100% have the potential of divorcing, but 40% will actually walk through that all the way. And I'm sure that there's some of you in here right now where that is something that you are actively contemplating. And there are those of you who have, are no longer married, you're divorced or widowed, and you're like, well, so what about me? So this hits everybody where everybody lives. And so as we're going to let Jesus speak, I'm just going to hide behind the text and we're going to trust that God will do his work. So open up in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 to 12. Matthew 19, verses 1 to 12. Now look at what happens here. Matthew 19, picking up in verse one, it says this. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these sayings that he departed from Galilee and came to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And a great multitude followed him and he healed them there. The Pharisees also came to him, testing him and saying, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? Now, I want to stop right there because we learned something very simple here, which I think we want to get at right up front, and that is the fact that some people just don't get it. Some people just don't get it. And in this case, I'm talking about the Pharisees. Because the Pharisees, they were the religious leaders in Jesus' day. And in Matthew's gospel and in all four gospels, the Pharisees were the ones who gave Jesus some of the hardest of times. But I want you to notice how this all works here because it says in verse one, he had finished saying these things, which is some of the stuff that we have studied previously, right? And he departed from Galilee and came to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. So Jesus has left the north part of Israel where was his base of operations and he was making his way to Jerusalem for what will be his last time. So he gets there and it says in verse two, a great multitude followed him and he healed them there. Now, it's real easy if you read the Bible and if you're trying to read through a whole chapter, you read a verse like verse two and you just read it and just keep going. You don't even stop and think about what it actually says. So Jesus is traveling. It's probably about a 70, 80 mile journey. You know what I mean? And he's traveling and there's all these people around. So Jesus has got like the super posse going on. 
There's people everywhere. He's got his 12, he's got his entourage, he's got his 12 disciples, and there's throngs of people, and everywhere he goes, and when he shows up, it just says, and you gotta love this, because it's just like, and he healed them there. No exclamation point, no like in bold letters, it's like, yeah, and Jesus healed them there, right? But like, Jesus healed them there. And like, think about that for a second. So I think we have a lot of these in Matthew's gospel and they exist because there's so many teachings, discourses. Jesus says this and he says this. But the spirit inspiring the author does not want us just to think of Jesus as a prophet. Jesus has a fully orbed ministry as the Messiah, which included preaching, but it also included all sorts of other things like just pretty much healing everybody who he ran into, came in touch with. You know, and so, but you can imagine in the midst of this, right? So Jesus is teaching and he's healing and all this stuff. Then the Pharisees come up and the Pharisees, it doesn't say that they rejoiced in the ministry of Jesus. They were grateful that he healed them. It says, and the Pharisees came to him, testing him. You know, and some people just don't get it. And I bring this up because it's so easy to see the Pharisees in the gospels and be like, oh man, those guys are knuckleheads. But we never actually let them be an admonition to us because are we the people who sometimes just don't get it? See, the Pharisees, they had a very unique vantage point of Jesus and they were the religious leaders of their day. And so you know why they didn't like Jesus? Because he wasn't one of them. And Jesus, by his very presence, called into question their power. If Jesus had been a Pharisee, things would have been totally different. But it reminds us, and I wanted to stop here for a moment because am I the only one who's found himself having great adventures at missing the point in my life? Am I the only one? But you know what happens oftentimes? Because we're human, we have a tendency to completely not get it. See, anybody in their right mind watching the ministry of Jesus should have rejoiced in what was going on. But you know what? As they say, every point of view is a view from a point. And it's so often to malign or undercut somebody who God is using mightily just because they're not in your camp. They call into question things that you value very, very deeply when just the very fact that people are getting healed, the Pharisees should have rejoiced. I mean, as religious leaders in their community, if they really cared about the people in their community, they would just simply be grateful that these people who are suffering are not suffering anymore. But you can't find one spot where the Pharisees as a group do anything other than to try and undercut, malign, or otherwise do Jesus dirty. And you have to ask yourself, are we guilty of some of the same stuff? And not just in religious circles, but in life, because oftentimes we are really good at not getting it. We just miss the point. And the Pharisees, they should have rejoiced that Jesus was there, and they wouldn't. Is there an area, or maybe there's a person, or maybe there's a situation where you should be rejoicing at what's happening, but really what you're doing is you're just trying to figure out how to undercut it? Whenever you're in that space, what I've learned is it's never, you're never in the spirit when you're in that place. It's just the flesh. It's like us being like, well, for whatever reason, I don't like that. And I don't really like that. You know? When it's like, no, no, no. Don't be like the Pharisees where you just miss the point. You just don't get it. 
Because the Pharisees, they should have been like, man, so like, can we talk about this whole healing thing? And like, is there a way that maybe you can help us learn how to do that so that we might be able to help our people more? But no, it's, they come up to him and they're testing him and they say to him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? You know, it's like total non sequitur. It's not like something's going on. It's just like, is it lawful? Can a man divorce his wife for any reason he wants, right? Now, it's interesting that it says, can a man divorce his wife? Because in that culture, wives were not allowed to divorce their husbands. So again, 2,000 years ago, Second Temple Judaism, and really everywhere in the world, in a patriarchal society, men were allowed to divorce their wives. The wives had no recourse to divorce their husbands, okay? I'm not saying that it's right. I'm saying that's just the way that it was. And so their question comes, and Jesus, as he always does, he answers a question by leading with a question. That's how Jesus gets to the heart of the matter. He answers his questions that he receives often by leading with a question. So look at what he says in verse four. And he, speaking of Jesus, answered and said to them, have you not read that he who made them in the beginning made them male and female? And said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, verse five, and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together... Let no man separate. They said to him, why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? And he said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced, commits adultery. His disciples said to him, if such is the case of the man with his wife, it is better not to marry. Now, they ask, what are the parameters for a man to get divorced? Can he divorce his wife for any reason? And Jesus answers with a question. And really what he does is he quotes two verses to want to push down a reality that I think is so important. And that's this, that creation is marriage's foundation. The foundation for marriage is creation. This is very, very important. This is talking about God's purposes and plans for the world that creation speaks of marriage. The foundation for marriage is in the heart of God all the way back in creation. Now, I think this is very, very important because this is a ground for marriage. Its foundation, the thing that marriage is built upon is God's purposes and plans in creation. Now, this is super important. Now, we know Jesus is getting at that because he actually quotes two verses. Notice what he says. Have you not read that he who made them in the beginning? Notice that. Isn't that creation language? He who made them in the beginning. How does your Bible begin? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So he's saying, listen, don't you remember what we learned in creation? God made them in the beginning... And he made them male and female. That is Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. He made them male and female. So that's the first one. Now, in quoting Genesis 1, 27, Jesus is indicating that God created men and women different and that God joins them together in the oneness of marriage. See, God loves this idea of 
unity in diversity. It's like the idea of the Trinity, that there's one God and three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. There's one God unity, but there is diversity within the Godhead. This is how God works. And in the same way, one biological man with one biological woman, the two become one flesh. There is unity in diversity. Now, you know I think this is such an absolutely cool idea because our culture does not understand unity in diversity. It only understands unity in uniformity. All we see is that it is impossible in American culture for two people who are different to actually be united together. But what's amazing is, is that the founding fathers of our country understood this by having one government, but having a division of powers. See, they got all this stuff because they were deeply rooted in God's intention for humanity. But in our day and age, it doesn't play out. Why? Because our culture says anything that is different is ultimately evil. That's what our culture says. But right here, you have God created them male and female. Genesis 1, 27. Then he quotes... In verse 5, and for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That is Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. First, he says, don't you remember what he who created them in the beginning said? And then he quotes two Old Testament scriptures. Now, if you know Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3, right, you find that there are two creation accounts. First, you have Genesis chapter 1 to chapter 2, verse 4, which is the seven days of creation. It's almost a creation poem. And then what happens is is then in chapter 2, it's almost like the Spirit of God zooms out and then zooms back in and wants to focus on the sixth day of creation when God created Adam and Eve. And we get not only God making them male and female, but God's plan in making them that way. Now, the idea of this... And I think this is super important. The one flesh language, it vividly expresses a view of marriage as something much deeper than either human happiness or social convention or convenience. Now, this is why I think this is so important. I want to get to the heart of marriage. Marriage is not just about social convention and it's not just about human happiness, although those are both involved. A man shall leave his father and his mother and he shall cling to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. It's something way deeper. See, what goes on in our day and age is every discussion about marriage either talks about human happiness or social conventions and convenience. But nobody's going back to the very reason marriage exists in the first place. And Jesus does that. Because you know what's going on? What we don't realize is that in Jesus' culture, this exact same battle is going on because there was two schools of rabbinical thought. There was a school of Shammai and the school of Hillel. If you're bored and you're reading your Bible and you've read your Bible so much that you want to read other stuff, you can read about these guys in the writings of Josephus or if you do a little Google search of Rabbi Hillel and Rabbi Shammai. Rabbi Hillel would be considered today a more liberal rabbi and Shammai would be considered a more conservative rabbi. Rabbi Shammai would say that you could only get divorced in areas of gross indecency on the part of your wife. Right? So if your wife did something that was just horrible, in that situation, you can divorce her. But everyone else know you're married, right? And then Rabbi Hillel would say, no, no, listen. If you don't like the way your wife cooks the eggs in the morning, then you can divorce her. Or if you see a prettier girl and you like her more than you like your wife, you could divorce her. And this battle was raging in the culture that Jesus lived in. People were still talking about it. What do we do? And so this is going on in that culture. And Jesus comes and says, no, listen, 
It's not about all this stuff that you're talking about. It's about creation. It's about God. It's about the purposes and plans of God for a good world that he made. Remember when God created everything, what did he say? It's good. I love that picture of God as the creator. God is the artist, because God's like speaking light into existence. Like, oh man, that's so cool. So good. He makes like some land. He gathers it together. He's like, oh, that's good. You know, it's like as a musician, you know, I spent a lot of time in the studio, you know, or on a gig. And it's so funny, like after you're in the studio and you're playing, you know, as a bass player, you know, you're playing, because I'm a bass player, you know, I'm playing the track. And then after it's over, I look at the producer and if the producer's like, oh, it's good, then I know I'm good. Or if he's just like, well, you know, you might want to change that line right there, you know? And so God, everything he's making, he's saying, man, it's so good. It's so amazing. It's like my little Annabelle. She's so cute. She's like three years old. Annabelle draws something. You know, she draws a bunch of circles. She's like, look, this is you. She thought it was so awesome. I never looked so handsome in my life, you know? No eyes, no nose, just a big circle, you know? And then she made a little, little circle. She's like, that's mom, you know? And so it's great, you know? But she's loving what she's making. So I'm not like, listen, now, Annabelle, what you just made looks terrible. It's a bunch of circles. I don't do that, right? See, when God created everything, he said it's good. And then when God created Adam and Eve, he said it's really good. God created Adam and Eve in his image and his likeness. God said, this is awesome. This is really good. So this whole discussion about marriage shouldn't be waged in just human happiness or just in social convention and convenience, but it needs to be spoken about in God's intention for humanity. God's good and perfect plan for people. And so Jesus quotes these two, and then in verse six, Jesus kind of lays it down then, because notice what he says. So then, now you like that, right? Because he quoted two scriptures from creation, he's like, because of these things, so then, they are no longer two, but they're one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. You hear what Jesus is saying? He's saying, listen, when you're married, you're not two anymore, you're one. And because you're not two, you're one, God put you together, but no one separated. Now listen, I quote this at every single wedding I've ever done, and anytime I talk to a couple who wants to get married, I bring them to this verse. Because I say, listen, you realize the commitment you're making is right here. That if God is bringing you together, let no one separate. And I'll talk about this a little more in a little bit. I want them to realize what's at stake. And you know what happens anytime I meet a couple who's struggling and they're using the D word? I bring them to this verse. I say, look, you're using language that God would not even entertain. And people get upset. You know why? Because when people have enough water under the bridge, you can say, well, listen, this is really, like, I need to get out of here. You don't even know. But listen, what God is joined together, let no one separate. Like, I want you just to let that sit. I mean, we've heard this verse so many times. But when was the last time you really let it sit? It's not the government brought them together. It's not their families came together. It's not the pastor presided over it. God has brought them together. And that changes it, doesn't it? Jesus is real. What God has joined together, let no one separate. You've probably heard it many times before. But have you let the reality of it sink in? 
Today, Pastor Daniel challenged you to take some time and think about what this really means. God bonds two people together in marriage. There's a weight and intention in that. But as Pastor Daniel shared, this reality should impact your decisions. It's important and should make a difference to you. Hey, everybody. I want to invite you to join me in reaching people with the message that Jesus is real. Would you pray about partnering with us in the ministry of Jesus is Real Radio? Your support in this way helps us to keep sharing God's Word and helps us reach more and more people. Thank you for considering partnering. Find out more at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Next time on Jesus Is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will continue this deep dive into what Jesus says about marriage and why it should matter to you. You'll learn that Jesus says that having a hard heart is at the core of divorce. Pastor Daniel will help you unpack what this means for your life. You'll see that the ball's in your court when it comes to how soft your heart is. You decide how you respond to what happens in your life. You've been listening to Jesus Is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through this series called Real Talk. Until then, may God bless.